Good evening. Welcome to the PSI podcast. My name is Kat and I will be your host for this evening. And on behalf of PSI Seminars, welcome to the podcast. PSI has been offering personal growth seminars around the world for over 45 years. And each month on these trainings, we explore tools and techniques from the PSI basic course as a free resource for you in your ongoing personal growth and self-improvement. For those of you who are new to PSI Seminars and would like to find out more about our basic course, go to psibasicseminar.com where you'll find information about the PSI Basic as well as the dates and locations for upcoming classes. That's psibasicseminar.com. The topic for this training is Raising Motivated Kids with PSI Facilitator Tim O'Kelly. Tim started his journey in personal growth in 1988 when he attended all of the PSI courses. He made a decision to make this his life's work and became a trainer in 1991. He is passionate about parenting and loves personal development. Tim, are you with us? I sure am. I sure am. Thank you, Kat. And thank you, PSI Seminars, for letting me take just a few minutes in, in, uh, in, in talking about probably my favorite topic. And, you know, before I start, I know a lot of you out there and, uh, um, I am not, um, a clinical psychologist. Um, I am not a child raising expert. Um, I am, uh, I'm a man who does some of the greatest classes, you know, the company PSI seminars has puts out in the world. And I've been around people for 32 years now. I have four children myself. I have a 27-year-old that I would have raised different if I would have known what I'm going to talk about today. And that's what really got me on the journey. And uh, I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And I'm 60 years old. And uh, I travel. And it's a, it, it, it's, I'm in it with you. Let me put it that way. That's all I am, people. I, I am in this battle with you. Um, so I'm not talking to you. If anything, now that I just, I thought about this, I'm probably delivering this for me. I hope you know what I'm talking. Have you ever heard this? That we always teach what we need to learn. That's probably exactly what's happening right now. And so we're all in this together. And I just want to touch on that. Anybody who is on this call, God bless you, um, for taking on one of the most challenging jobs ever as we all know, who have children. Uh, It is a complete different world that uh, cannot be explained to someone who does not have them without any disrespect, of course. Yet you cannot explain it, right? It's just so challenging. So um, one more point I want to make before I jump into it is just I just want to acknowledge the the importance of these questions, uh, how many there are, and, and it just highlights the challenge that it is to raising kids because we love them and we truly want the best is all it is. And so I'm not here to tell you how to do it. Please hear that guys. I'm not, I'm not telling you how how to do it. I'm not telling you that the way that you're doing it is wrong. I would never tell a parent that, Uh, um, it's our right to raise our kids exactly the way we want to. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing ideas. I'm sharing things that I know work. I'm sharing things that work quickly. Um, I'm not sharing anything that I haven't done or am practicing. So we're all in it together. 
you might hear something uh, tonight that, that resonates. And I hope that's what happens and we can have further conversations about it, you know, as we continue to build this, uh, this family of, of parents in PSI seminars. So, okay, so let me, uh, let me jump into it. I, I have a, a really a, a short time to take on a huge topic. So I'm going to talk rather fast so that I can get to the questions. And, and, and so let's go. So one of the things that I want to tell you that I'm about that, um, that we're working on as far as even just the course of, of parenting that uh, keep an eye out that for PSI seminars is basically to raise um, smart, I call it intellectually savvy kids, healthy, confident, respectful, uh, motivated, yet calm, not crazy, courageous, risk-taking, emotionally fit, emotionally in shape, right? Fit, in shape, okay? Connected, causal, with integrity, who operate from responsible and are self-directed. That's the mission. And there's a lot there, is there not? And so what I want to start with is, is I, I think, something that we've all got to do. We really have just got to take the time to do this. And that is to, you know, no matter what age our kids are, is to do an exercise as parents, uh, a writing exercise, a contemplation, and then a writing exercise. And it very simply is what is our role as parents? See, you have some people who decide on a role that they are playing as a parent. And then you have people who are raising kids by instinct right? Both of those have value. Both of those have value, except there's an incredible amount of value if you do both. That a lot of it is by instinct, yet if you have a clear intent and a purpose, we're going to do much better. What I mean by that is, what is the role of a parent have we ever really defined it? Have we sat down with paper and defined, here is my role as a parent? Because we sure do in our businesses, we sure do in our jobs, or if you're a boss, you're really clear on your role. I hope we are, right? So let me give you a couple of examples. And again, I'm not here to criticize, to make wrong, to judge at all. Just different approaches, right? So um, let's see, how about... Um, that our role as parents would be to raise incredible human beings, right? That were what I, what I said earlier, right? The, the intellectual savvy, healthy, confident, respectful. I'm talking about adults here that our job as parents could be that our job is to raise great human beings. Now, maybe that has not been clearly defined like that. That's okay. There's nothing better than today. I know it matters what we have done in the past. I just believe it matters more what we're doing right now. Right? To raise great human beings. Or some parents have kids, and I'm not saying that they intentionally have kids to do this. Yet some people, their reason for being parents is to have relationships. You know what I mean by that word? to have a relationship with their child, that that's really important to them. And as twisted as this may sound, if we haven't been able to have a successful relationship with our parents, 
or with our intimate relationships, well, at least I can have a child who loves me and who doesn't talk back for the first six months. <laughs> okay, for a little bit, okay? That I really, I just want to have a great relationship. Yet, when it comes to parenting, that's a different subject, right? Um, some people have children um, for the family image. Um, and I, I added that just because the other day I, I heard on TV where a, a coach in, uh, in college football said that he has to have kids and be married to be hired as a coach because it's the image. Um, and he says, I don't know my kids very well at all. It's, uh, that's what I needed to do to have, to have a, my position. Okay. There are some people who have kids and what they're really excited about is the tax benefits. Uh, the financial benefit of having kids and the financial benefit of even having kids. Cause some people are like, I want my kids to hurry up and be successful and be stars and be, you know, top of the field so that they can help us financially. <laughs> right? um, so what is our role, right? What is our role of a parent? I think that's a great exercise to start with is to clearly define for you. What is your role? What's your big picture? What's your hundred year vision? That's right, hundred year, that's right, you're gonna be gone. So what's gonna be after that? How are the kids gonna be? Because of us as parents, are they well adjusted? Are they working? Are they healthy? Do they have great relationships? You know, what's your, what's your big picture plan? I think that's a great exercise uh, that any of us can do as parents is what is our role. So let me just touch on, and I know this by no new information for anybody here, but they have considered that there's four different styles of parenting. Okay. And uh, again, I'm not here to say which one you should do. Um, so just real quick, four different styles of parenting that they say there, uh, there's the, uh, the authoritarian parent, which is considered to be the one that says, um, I am the parent. I make the rules. I, I'm the one who decides what's going to happen. And if you ever ask me why, I'll say because I said so, right? It is uh, the authoritarian or the dictator, if you will, which is I make the rules. We don't talk. Here's what you have to do, okay? Obviously, there's a challenge in that. What type of kids come from those kind of parents, there's plenty of studies on that. Okay. And then you have what's called the permissive style parent, which is more of the one that is wants to be in a relationship, which means if you want to be in a relationship with your child, well, you don't want your child to feel bad. We don't want a relationship. I don't want my wife to feel bad. Right? So we don't want anybody to feel bad. So we'll let them do whatever they do as long as they don't feel too bad. We don't want them to be uncomfortable. We don't want them to be in pain. We don't want them to, to, to feel bad. We don't want them to be bullied. We don't want them to, you know, to be sad or to be frustrated. We want to do everything we can so that, that doesn't happen. That's what's called basically permissive, permissive parent. Um, you, you might hear this sometimes. I said, eat all your broccoli. Okay, that is a little bit authoritarian. Okay, here's, here's your broccoli. It's really, really good. I don't want to eat my broccoli. Oh, come on. It's good. It's good for you. I don't want to eat my broccoli. Okay, how about five bites? No. Okay, four. 
Two. Okay, well, you think about <laughs> when you think about eating your broccoli, right? The taking a, you know a stand and drawing a line is really really tough for permissive parents. We are into more. Let's just get along and let's have great relationships. Um, relationships are tough enough in this world. You know, you look out in the world, relationships are tough. And at least let's have a really good relationship at home. At least you have that at home. And uh, there's a challenge with that, as you can probably well see what's going to happen in the future. Okay. So, uh, and then you have the, what's called the absent parent, which is I did my job. I'm the parent. My job was bringing you into this world. And then we can switch over to, and I can take you out of this world. Um, absent is just they're, 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 they work. They're busy. They work. They don't go to meetings. They don't go to parent meetings. They don't go to PTA. They don't go. And I'm not saying you have to, but absent parents definitely don't. It's that I've done my job and now it is your job to grow up. What? That's the absent parent. Um, and then you have the authoritative parent, um, which you can read all the studies on it. And uh, there's a lot of proof that this is this edges out the other ones as far as being the most effective. And that is that the authoritative is that I I have these rules. I have what is acceptable and what's not acceptable in our home. And when we're out in public, what is acceptable? What's not acceptable? When we're in stores, what's acceptable? What's not acceptable? Um, here are the chores. Right. And here is why. See, the, the big thing that's different about the authoritative parent is they will set up the boundaries. They will set up the what is acceptable, what's not, what price to pay if we fall out of that. Yet the one thing that the authoritative parent does is they get down on the floor with them and they look right in their eyes and they communicate really, really well of why we are doing this. Versus the authoritarian, which is because I said so. I mean, think about this. If a child is in school and they're taking math, for example, and I'm not picking on math. It just happens to be the one that some people struggle with um, that. I don't want to do math. I don't want to do math. There's no I'm not going to use math ever in my life. I want to be a hockey player. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this before where they don't want to do something and they don't see the value in it. Because a lot of us don't talk to our kids and to explain to them why we're sending them to school. I mean, think about that. Have we ever told our kids why we're sending them to school or do we just send them to school and get them away for a while? Right. You know what I mean? But to sit down and talk about taking a class like math, especially one that you really don't want to do and you think you'll never use it again. The value in learning something that you didn't know, and especially that you were a bit resistant to, what all happens in their brain, the expanding brain that is learning, taking in new, and risking, risking meaning I'm doing something I don't want to do versus I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, and they back away from it, they back away from it, they back away from it. Right. So to sit down and communicate what's happening in their brain and then take that brain to play hockey. They're going to be a great hockey player. So then you'll see a child go, OK, is it going to happen overnight? Of course not. I don't think I don't really think any of this is going to. 
Well, there's one I think will, and I'll bring it up in a little bit. Um, but that's what the authority, they communicate. It's constant communication of why we're doing this. Now we are doing this. These are going to be the rules. Yes. Yet here's why. Here's why the value of being orderly in a store. Here's why when you go to someone's house, that this is how you will behave versus just you've got to behave when you're at other people's homes. No, the really good reason of behaving well in the world, that a child knows how to behave themselves so that families welcome them, that families want them to come over. When they hear their name that they're coming over, the parents get excited. That is going to do so much for a child. When a child goes to people's homes, they feel welcomed. They feel people like them. You have someone who doesn't play by the rules. You have someone that does whatever they want to do. and They don't have to behave. They don't have to. They will go over to people's homes and feel unwelcome. Now, the parents will do the best they can to have the smile on their face because that's what we're supposed to do when kids come over. Yet they feel it. They know that wherever they go, they don't feel welcome. That's going to be a problem. That's going to be a challenge for the little one. And so the absolute value in having rules, the absolute value in having chores, the absolute value of that is unacceptable. And that will not be allowed in our family. And that will not be allowed out in public. And here's why, right? That's the, that's the authoritative parent. Okay. And that's what I want to move more into is, is the one that they say works the best. Okay. And so as we look at the four different styles of parenting, then we move into just some aspects of parenting that I think are foundational, that are the really the most important. A lot of the questions that were presented here can be answered when we took take a look at the fundamentals. Not the specific, I mean, there's so many specific questions that would take so long to answer, and they're great questions, yet they could be answered a lot with if we take a look at the foundation, if we take a look at the context of raising children. Let, let me give you an example. Um, the context of failure, okay? Um, I do these classes, as many of you know, uh, personal development courses for adults. And I uh, just did one this weekend, uh, right? It's, it's in Toronto. I'm in Toronto right now. Um, and you see, I don't, let me think. I think there were three people in this class, adults, that want to open their own business. They even have the name of the business. They have the product, they have the service, and they haven't done it yet. And it's been five years, six years. One was four. One, um, one was eight, right? Still not doing it. Still not doing it. Afraid. They, they're, they're more comfortable having the, the security of a check uh, versus opening their dream. And that's really what started this whole mission for me is what causes that? Where does that start? And of course, we all know it starts when we're very young. So the context of failure is just a small example, okay? So we were not... Yeah, I'm 60, right? So we, even me back then in the, in the late 50s and, and 60s, we were not raised with how valuable failure is. No, I went to an all-male Catholic preparatory high school that failure was not promoted. 
You stay away from failure. You have to be right. You have to have the right answer. You have to know the answer to the question when you're called on. You have to know the answers to the tests. Not education. You had to know the answer. You had to be right. You had to get the good grades. That's what was promoted. Failure was never promoted. Yet in the real world, <laughs> in the world of business, in the world of relationships, we all know, I think intellectually, that you must fail your way to success. There is not one great success story that doesn't have more failures than successes. True. I mean, take a look at the, um, 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 gosh, even just, you know, yesterday, the, the NCAA championship, I mean, Virginia, right? They lost the first game last year. You know, so we look at them today or, or yesterday and we'd be like, oh, my gosh, they're great. They're so good. They've gone through so much failure. All baseball, all baseball players fail more than they do succeed. Oprah Winfrey says that she has failed more times than anyone in her audience combined. And if you listen to her story, you'll see it's true. The Olympic athletes, right? You see them walking across the beam and jumping all over that beam, and they make it look so simple, yet what they don't show is how many times they failed. But we don't promote failure. We don't promote failure in our own home. Most of us don't. And if we did, if we did communicate to our children the value of failing, right? The woman who created Spanx, um, uh, uh, Blakely, um, her first name is skipping me right now. Karen, no, something Blakely. Uh, she's the one who created Spanx, the, the hose for women. And she was on CNN and she was asked how, how she became successful. And she goes, I attribute most of my success to my father. And Co Anderson Cooper said, well, how come? What did your father do? And she said, my father taught me to fail. And the look on Anderson's face was, what? We had to bring a failure to him every week. We had to bring something that we failed at every week. Because there was no hint of negativity around failure. Failure meant you went for something. You went for something that you didn't know how to do and you produced a result. And it wasn't the result you wanted. Yet the effort that you put into it is everything. Now give me another one. Now give me another one. So when uh, she was, I can't remember how old she was, but she was out dancing with her friends. and had an idea pop into her head about her hose that she wanted to be able to dance and not have them crawl up or run down. I don't know what the hoes do. Okay. Um, but she didn't like what was happening. She had an idea pop into her head about a product. Well, she took that product into Saks Fifth Avenue of New York, a retail store, and was holding her hand and said, I have an idea here. Which you don't do that in the fashion industry. You do trade shows. She walked in and so Anderson said, well, how did you do that? Well, it was obviously easy. She wasn't afraid to fail at all. She had an idea, boom, go on for it. Does that make sense? So that idea of failure is a context that we can work with when our with our children being very young about that willingness to go out and to, to challenge, go out and to risk, go out and to take chances and to fail. Stevie, my son will come home from skateboard and I'll ask him how many times he failed. He'll say like seven how many times did you really, really do what you wanted? Like two? 
Congratulations. High five. Woo. So now he comes home and says, Dad, let me tell you about these. Right. Let me tell you about these fairs. I fell flat on my face. The coach hit me in the head, whatever. And that's a healthy context is that failure is mandatory and to, to, to encourage that. Now, if we did that more, a lot of the questions would be answered that were on here, meaning how do I get my kid to be motivated? How do I get my kid to take risks? How do I get my kid to go do things? How do I get my kid? That's a big part of it right there. A lot of them are afraid to fail. Now, the good news is you can alter that at no matter what age, if you're willing to do the work, right? And that's why I'm so committed to having a course to support each other and actually doing the step-by-step work, okay? But even if you just don't do that and you just take that idea off this call and start you as a parent failing in front of your children, when's the last time you failed in front of your kids? When's the last time you went for something in front of your kids and it didn't turn out and you were like, wow, what I just learned was, right? Think about that. Are you their model? And that's part of raising a successful human being is whatever you want them to learn, you must do, you must be. So if you want them to risk, you've got to versus just being routine, just do the same thing over and over again. Yet want them to be something different. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Okay. All right. So that's one piece I want to talk about. The other part I want to talk about that was in a lot of the questions was something I think is very important is what do we teach our kids early, early, early on? What I mean by that is what's important to teach our kids when they're young. Uh, I saw a, a study the other day that this man was talking about, he's a, he's an educator and he was talking about how excited he is about the rigor that is in our kindergarten to learn uh, reading and math and these different topics. So if you think about when you were young and you were really young, you know, what did your parents want you to learn? And I remember what I wanted, what, what my mom wanted me to learn was school. What my mom wanted me to do was to learn math. What my mom wanted me to do, learn to read, to write my name really early, you know, and to do those things when there's another consciousness that we can have of what to teach our kids really early. And uh, I'll give you a snippet of it is to how to have friends, uh, how to be socially uh, accepted, uh, how to be able to go to other people's houses and, and make friends. So if, if you understand one thing I'm getting to is one of the points of if you're committed to raising a great human being, then here's one thing we want to do is to raise delightful children. I'm going to say it again because it's so against what we do in the, in, the, in the parent, I mean, in the adult class to raise delightful children that people love being around. That is going to take them so much further than math reading, writing their name. They'll be able to do that. But the earliest time that we can socialize, right? I remember when I was young, when we were in school, we did uh, duck, duck, goose, goose. And we did a lot of things like that, which they've taken all that pretty much out of schools now, unless you've got a really great school or charter school or something like that. But it's a socialization uh, of kids. How, how do kids be in relationship? How kids share, right? How kids learn to not steal, 
how kids learn to not bully each other, how, right, Folsom's rules, if you've ever read the book, everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten, okay? If you've never read that book, I recommend go get it and get the list of Folsom rules, which is what we used to teach in kindergarten. We do not teach now in kindergarten, unless, again, you have a private or you have a unique charter or, or teach at home. But that is so important, is the social part of it. The social, being able to conduct yourself in this world and create friends and create relationships. Relationships is more important than knowledge. Now, Einstein didn't say that. I did. <laughs> he said uh, imagination was more important than knowledge. Um, I'll say friendships, uh, companionships, um, relationships um, are very, very important, uh, more than information or more than knowledge. Now, I say, of course, both. But what is the best thing to teach when, when they're early is a socialization, not the intellect, not the cognitive, but the social skills, right? Integrity, um, putting things back once you take them off the counter or, or cabinet or you play with them to learn to put them back. Those kind of things to teach early, early in life. Okay. Another topic I want to talk about real quick is um, really the best mo model that we can use of creating really well-adjusted, functional, motivated. And I'll talk about motivated. There's a great question about that, about motivation. Um, that if you have, let's take these two different, I wish I could draw it up for you. Um, so just picture this on one side is called structure and discipline. And then on the other side, you have love and communication. Okay. So in raising a child, what is so important that a lot of these questions pertain to is have we set in our family, the rules, the rules of the family, the rules of the family in public. What is acceptable and what is not acceptable? Meltdowns in a store is not acceptable. And we think, well, no, they're having a meltdown. We should just let them have a meltdown. Of course, if you want them to do that and you want them to show up that way and you give them permission to show up that way out at people's homes or, uh, yeah, they're going to do it. It's going to be a problem, right? So that's going to be one of the things about the courses that's so great is that we'll all support each other in, if you haven't already done it, is coming up with the list of clear, right, what is acceptable behavior and what is not acceptable behavior in the home. The acceptable way to, to talk to each other, to call each other. What do you call each other by name? What is acceptable? Why not? And that's, that list is going to continue to build. Right. And so that this is what's acceptable. This is what's not. This is what the rules are. And if you fall out of that, just very simply, here are the consequences. Okay. Here are the consequences. And here is the reason for the consequences. Here's the value in the consequences. As far as you're growing up to be an adult, here's how it's going to serve you is that if you do fall out of integrity, you do fall out of what's acceptable or not, there's always a price to pay because there always is in life, right? And so if you're clear on your communication, and here's a secret, guys. I mean, this is such an advanced topic for parenting. You cannot let your kids upset you. You just cannot. Now, 
Do we? I hope less after this call and less and less and less to the point where you have an, an incredible emotional maturity where when your kids misbehave, you don't lose your mm because you're teaching them that people hurt each other, that you're making me mad, that we've got to be strong as parents and mature emotionally so that when our kids have a breakdown, we're there. It doesn't make us mad. We don't yell. We don't scream. Now, you might have in your past, but remember, there's nothing more important than what we start today, that we start to mature emotionally to be there and just to remind them this is not acceptable behavior. We will be leaving. And then they know the price that they're going to pay. And it's usually what's the best thing. And God, we have so many topics we could cover is you're not going to don't take things away from them, especially don't take things that you gave them, things that you gave them. Um, time uh, is really, really good to take from them. Uh, the time that they have for, I don't know, if you have screen time, that time just got cut in half. Or, But you don't make it up on the fly. You got it? Those have got to be created. That's got to be a very clear list that if they misbehave in, in – in, in, and, and you, you're, you can have a wide you know, game field. It's not like if they blink the wrong way. No, right? They can have fun in stores. We can all have fun in stores. Yeah, there's a line you don't cross. That is so healthy for kids to have that line to understand what the game is because they don't know the game, right? And to have a price to pay and to, to pay that. So you have structure and discipline, okay? Then the other side, you have love, just an incredible amount of love for your children, right? I'm not saying that you cannot be a strict parent and not love. No, what I'm gonna show is that you want to have both so you want to have a lot of love and a lot of communication with a lot of structure and discipline. What happens if you fail on either one of those? So think about this in general terms. If you had a lot of love, say you just love your children and you don't want them to be uncomfortable, right? So you won't hold the line. You won't you know, create your list of what's acceptable and what's not. It's just let's just kind of all be together and just, you know. Um, and there's no structure and there, there's no discipline, uh, the price that you'll pay. You'll have a very undisciplined teen. That's just what's going to happen. You're just going to have a very undisciplined, unstructured teen that is run by emotions. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And if I don't want to do it and I don't feel like doing it, I'm not doing it. And it started really early without the structure because you want, want kids. I know this sounds really strange and it's going to be hard for permissive parents. You do not want to have your kids be comfortable all the time. You want them to be challenged and you want them to learn to do something that I don't want to do. You've got to cause them to see the value in doing something that I don't want to do early. I don't want to behave this way right now. I got it. And you're going to, <laughs> and here's why. And here's just a simple price you're gonna pay if not. And what it does is it starts a child to understand that a lot of things I'm not going to want to do in life. And it's so valuable to do them. Okay. So if you have all structure and you have all discipline and no love and no communication of why 
you have a very angry, resentful, rebellious child, right? It's pretty simple. So the idea behind this is to set up great structure, set up great positive discipline, yet real, not not feel-good discipline, but just positive discipline with a lot of love behind it and a lot of clear communication of why. That model right there is one of the best models that we're going to work with as we continue to move on this, all right? Uh, Another point I want to bring up, and then I'm going to start moving off of my topics into questions, and I can do a lot of work there. Um, If you've been to the basic training, basic course, you'll know something called the three R's. So let me put out a very important point I want to make. Do not ever let your child do anything that upset you. Let me say that again. Do not let your child do anything that upsets you. So let me let me communicate. One, ideally, you don't want to be upset. You want to have your emotional house in order. Yet, if you're not there yet, okay, then you do not let a child do a behavior that gets under your skin and you cannot control yourself and you get angry. This is so important that if you allow that, that your child has tantrums and it drives you crazy, this is a very tough challenge right now. There's a lot of negativity that goes with this. We as adults are big people. We can do things that can hurt physically. And if you've ever heard stories of parents doing things to children and you would think, oh, I would never do that. Well, just guarantee it. Okay. Guarantee it. And that is to not allow your child to do anything that you cannot control yourself about. Like if you get angry at tantrums, you stop the tantrums. I hope that I know it's edgy. I got it. I feel like I'm talking with force right now. And I don't want to do that. Um, that you don't allow yourself to have it be okay. You learn how to handle tantrums. And tantrums can be handled. You can actually change a child's behavior in six weeks if you will discipline and understand that this behavior is not acceptable. And set them on the stairs. I'm not t- telling you exactly what to do. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, I'm going to set you on the stairs right now. And when you pull it together and you decide to join the human, now I cannot do this with anger, right? When you decide to join the human race again and you decide to be part of our family, then you come back downstairs. Now, (laughs) when they come back downstairs, you're good. Big hug. Man, I knew you could do it. I knew you could do it. I saw you struggling. I saw it in your eyes, dude. And you struggled through it and you back now with us. Give me a hug. I love you. Let's go play. Versus holding a grudge, okay? Because here's why. If you allow a child to behave in a way that upsets you and you're not able to control your emotions, then you know something called the three R's. And a parent can play out the three R's with their kid for years. And believe me, I do not endorse hitting ever a child. Please know that. I'm using an example. I would rather, even though I won't do it because I don't need to do it, I would rather tap a kid on the butt to let him know what you just did, right? Doesn't work. And then be clean with it. If you know what I'm talking about, be clean with it rather than not 
do that and then be resentful and revenge to a child for five or six more years. What I mean by that is you can be angry without even knowing it and be holding them hostage to something that they do, tantrums, and then they come home and tell you something that's great and you'll be like, "Uh uh-huh, not connected, not excited for him, not listening, busy. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just so busy. No, it's a three R's, right? Resentment, resistance, revenge. I would rather the other than holding on to that for years. Now, I'm not promoting that. Please understand what I'm saying. But to correct that behavior right now <laughs> and be clean. You got it? And be clean. Okay. One other thing I want to talk about because it's just so cool. If you want your children to be smart, never tell them they're smart. If you want your children to be smart, never tell them that they're smart. You always want to acknowledge a child for the effort that they put into something. You don't want to tell a child that they're smart, that they are intellectual, that they are, you know, without it being earned, which won't ever be as a child, right? Maybe when they have a, oh, I don't know, PhD or a master's, then you can look at them and go, you know what? Based on result, you're pretty smart. But when they're little, it's very detrimental to say you're smart when they're not. We say it because we want them to be it. They're not going to be it if we say it. What's going to be best is if we acknowledge the struggle they went through. I saw you sit down at that math problem, son, and I could see it in your eyes, man. You didn't know what the heck you were doing, and you stayed with it. That effort right there, son, that's genius. That's so good, right? Then a child will sit down and put effort into things versus, oh, I'm already smart? Cool. Well, then this math test must be wrong or must be something must be wrong because I don't understand it. And if I don't understand it, there must be something wrong with me or something wrong with this math problem or something wrong with this school. Very detrimental. Acknowledge the child for their effort. Okay. And uh, and so what I want to do right now is I want to now move uh, into some questions because I know I could answer a lot of these and and more more information can come out. Okay. so, Kat, let's go ahead and uh, start with some questions. Great. We've got lots of questions. Uh, Before we go into questions, I just want to take a moment for everyone on the call who has not yet done our classes. If you want more tools to bring your best to your family and your relationships, the basic course has extremely effective techniques that you can put into practice right away to expand yourself beyond what you previously thought possible. And for the results that you really want to create in your life, at the PSI Basics Seminar, you get to uncover your limiting beliefs and discover what has been holding you back from living the life of your dreams, whatever that is for you. The Basic is an experiential class where you will be immersed in powerful exercises and get to explore who you are, what you really want, and how to get where you want to go. Again, if there's anything you want more, better, or different for yourself and your life, then go to PSIBasicSeminar.com and get registered for the next PSI Basic. We hold classes in cities across the country, so find a location and date that works for you. Again, that's PSIBasicSeminar.com. So we're going to start off the questions with TN. Wants to know, how do I get my children to understand the consequences behind their actions of choosing not to do their chores, homework, etc.? <laughs> well, let's just dive right into it. 
TN. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to I want to make sure I get your question. I believe you said, "How do I get my children to understand the consequences?" Um, I don't know if it's for us to cause them to understand the consequences. Um, it is for us to have them experience the consequences and then they'll make sense of it the way that their mind makes sense of it. But the most important thing is if a child is going to fight you on chores or fight you on homework. Okay. Well, then that goes back to what I talked about earlier. If what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in your home is for example, chores and homework, if chores and homework are what is to be done and that's been laid out that this isn't a this isn't a choice thing we all have chores we all have chores in life we all have them age appropriate of course um and uh homework is 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 homework now again remember let me take a side note here have you communicated clearly how valuable homework is and guys you have to understand Anything is valuable if we don't want to do it and we do it. That gets them out of that need for comfort all the time. And so to communicate that, though, to a child, to communicate that, well, you know, those times where you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Gosh, just the incredible value of what happens in your mind when you go do it and how that's going to make you a better baseball player, how that's going to make you a better skateboarder, how that's going to make you a better rock and roll singer, how that's going to make you a better banker, how, whatever. Right. So make sure that your communication is important. Make sure you communicate the value of chores. Right. I mean, I, I like my my son right now is he wants to he wants to have Heelys. Right. And so I'm not going to buy them for him. Um, but he's he, we've set up the chores for him to, to make that money. And they're not easy chores. It's sweating out there, you know, in a hot car. And of course, I'm careful of the windows and everything. He's six. Of course, he knows that. Uh, it's work to clean the whole backyard with the spray gun, you know, six years old. Um, he, and he works it, he sweats and he works it and he makes his little money and he's going to get his Heelys probably next week. Right. So again, communication, very, very important. Now, if they choose not to do that, well then on your list, it will have on there. Okay. So chores, uh, homework, they might be too different. Here's what happens happens if you don't do your homework. You don't get blank. You don't get dessert. Well, maybe not dessert. Dessert is if you don't eat your food. I kind of combine those, right? If you don't eat your broccoli, I mean, you don't eat your, your good vegetables, then no, you absolutely do not get dessert. I don't know if you don't get dessert if you don't do homework or chores. Maybe something else, okay? Uh, screen time just got reduced or, you know, um, the time that we go um, something that they enjoy, some, some experience that they really enjoy is a price. Okay. So as adults, when we break the rules and we get caught, what happens? Well, we're incarcerated, right? What do they take from us? Our liberty. What do they take from us? Our time. We don't have time now to do anything. We don't get to do anything, right? We're subject to boom, right? So they take our time. They take our money. Okay. I wouldn't take money. I wouldn't dare take any of Stevie's money that he earned. I would take the experiences that he loves with his friends. Okay. 
the time that uh, you have allotted to go play with your friends had just been cut in half. Now, again, it cannot be made up on the fly. This has got to be planned out. That's why it, this is going to take some work. Okay. And, uh, and they experience that. Now, see, here's what we got to do is we got to make sure that we honor that and do not take them to the friend's house and keep track on a, and I would do it on a very obvious way on a piece of paper, a board in the room that here's the price you paid for it. And here's how much time you've lost. And here's how much time you have gained back by staying at home. Okay. Cause the reality is they don't have to do homework. They don't have to, they don't have to do chores, right? They don't have to, if they're going to be part of the family, there's a price to pay if you don't. And that price has got to be pretty important to them. The idea is don't take anything from them that was a gift because then it wasn't a gift. You can't take something that's not, you know, it, it's just not the best thing to do. So that's why you want to take experiences and make sure it's always being communicated and that you're not angry, that you're not hot about it. Okay. Is that this is very matter of fact. And I love you. But if that's what you choose to do, here's a price you pay. So that's how you have a child to understand it. I'm not sure, but how you have a child experience the consequences. Because if you'll stay on this, they won't like the consequence. They won't like it and they'll realize themselves. They're going to figure out how to work this out themselves. That this price is too big for just not doing my chore. Right now, it's not. The price is not big enough. That's why they don't do it. You raise up the price, they'll go, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't work. And that is really what you want to do with a lot of this is have the kid figure it out for themselves, right? And that's what this can help with so that they figured out self-directed, not other people directed, right? So they'll, I guarantee they'll figure it out if the price is high enough. Oh, yeah. And uh, the, the the little girl was being treated, uh, she was 18, was being treated uh, for a, uh, a skin rash, something like that. No, a urinary tract infection. Okay. Something like that. She came in with this tract infection and the, and the doctor was asking her about her diet. And her mom said, well, all she eats is chicken nuggets, pizza, and French fries. And the girl said, McDonald's French fries. Let's be clear. And she's like, pastor, that's all she'll eat. I remember the doctor saying afterwards, he goes, right when she said that, I went, not as she lived with me. And uh, I was talking to him and he said, this is one of the biggest problems that he has uh, is that the reason that she has this urinary tract infection is she, it's a lack of nutrients. And the lack of nutrients is caused by all the junk food that she will only eat. And, uh, and the mom said, well, that's all she'll eat. That's all she'll eat. And, and the doctor said, no, that's not true. That's what you let her eat. That's what you let her eat. Well, yeah, but she gets really upset if we don't. You hear the point there? Yeah, but she gets really upset if we don't let her eat it. So what are we doing? Go ahead and let her eat it so she's not upset. Because this is what a lot of parents want to do is make sure their kids are not upset. Not the healthiest model. At that point, we're off of raising great human beings. Is if we just want them to feel comfortable. That's more of just having a relationship with them. We want the relationship to be good. We don't want them to be uncomfortable, right? If the price was high enough, she'd eat something different. If that's all that was in the house and she wasn't allowed to leave the house, <laughs> she's going to eat. But see, we don't want to do that with our kids. We don't want to be tough. 
And I tell you what, at the age that they are and the hormones that they got going through their body, they're going to run away with it. And it's not going to be great training. It's not going to be great training. That's where they need us to be strong. And what's going to happen if they have a parent who is not strong in leadership and who's not strong in taking a stand for them, for their health? It's going to build an incredible amount of resentment. And what you see a lot is a lot of resentment that teens have toward their parents because of that lack of a great leadership model. Okay. So I hope that helps. I hope that helps. Okay. Next question. Next up from AK. One of my 10 year old daughter's caregivers is my mother. My mother is negative and I'm starting to notice some of this negativity in my daughter. Please help. <laughs> help. Um, do we all have that too? I thought I was the only one who had a negative mother. Um, I hope some of you are laughing, okay? My mom just passed. It's not disrespect. I really did think my mother was very negative. Here's a couple of th different things that you can do on that one. And believe me, this is not an uncommon question. Um, and again, you're going to deal with this the way that you want to deal with it. So there's just a couple of different ideas here. Um, let me throw out this idea now that I just thought about this and see if this helps a bit. Um, sometimes we, I get a lot of questions about, um, I, I'm very uncomfortable with my child. We're in a divorce situation. My child going over to the father's house because he is very different. Uh, the way he parents is very different than I do. And it's causing problems that, you know, you, that's a common one too. Um, one perspective is this, that a child growing up needs to have, well, I don't know if needs the right word. It's really, really healthy for a child to have their father. And it's really, really healthy for their child to have their mother. I'm not saying that they have to be together. No, of course, that's ideal. It's not necessary. It's not man. Well, let me say it's not mandatory. It's the best situation. Yeah, there are reasons. I understand that there are reasons why relationships end. Yet that a child does need their dad, even if their dad is a blank. Now, make sure you did not hear if dad's abusive. That's a whole different game. Bring in the legal department, bring in the police in that immediately. Please hear that. Yet if that's not the case and dad is just a Disneyland dad or dad lets them get away with everything and you're the disciplinarian mom and you want to change that and you want discipline everywhere, um, there's value. And a child being with the father, no matter how the father shows up, as long as they're not uh, crossing the line. You know what I mean? Okay. Even though we would want it to be perfect, that's not the real world. It's not going to be instead of taking them away from them. You actually want the child with your help to learn how to deal with a father that is that way instead of protecting our kids this is not something that we want to go too far into is protecting our children from hurt. Now, I, I, of course, protecting our children from physical hurt, you're never going to do. Protecting your kids from emotional hurt, you're never going to do. I don't know how we think we can protect our kids. 
I guess if we locked them up the whole time and never let them go out in the street because there's a white van down the street, or you think there is, and we're just terrified of the world that we live in and you lock them up, I I guess that's a form of protection. Of course, no one on this call is going to do that. I understand that. But to protect them from struggle is not going to happen. Struggle is what you want them to go through. Let me say that again. If you're in the business of raising kids to be great adults, you want the child in the struggle of life early with you so that they can deal with it and know how to deal with it versus, no, my job is to protect you from all pain and you live over here in comfort land and then we expect them as teens to now go be, go be motivated. Come on, go be, go take risks. It, it doesn't work. So we want the children to be in normal life struggles because the way a child matures is by dealing with things and handling tough things, not by being protected. Not by being protected from struggle. So if there's a husband who's, who's different, yes, I know it might not be ideal, yet if that is the situation and he's, they're going to be around dad to learn how to deal with it. For my daughter, learning how to deal with an alcoholic mother instead of just pulling her away, which I did at the very beginning, and I realized this isn't healthy, right, to have my daughter be with her mother when she was an alcoholic and to not take her away from it, but for my daughter to learn how to deal with her mother that way. And it's been years in the making. It's been a constant struggle. And I think some of you understand that relationship. That's a constant struggle. And that's not my job to protect her from that. That is her mother. And her mother has every right in the world as long as she's not abusing her to be with her. So now, the reason I bring that up, okay? So let me go back to the, to the question. Mother is negative. Okay. You have a choice. Take her away from mother. Find another caregiver. That's one option you have, obviously. The other one is, depending on, um, I don't know, um, I, think, I think it was... 10, maybe, I think you said 10 years old. So, okay. So I think it was 10. Uh, um, yes, a new, a new caregiver would work, or you could work with your daughter who's 10 about mom, because there's plenty of people in the world like mom. Mom sees things different. Mom is not actually negative, right? Mom has a perspective that's different than ours. And you know what? Your daughter's going to grow up and have many people around here with different perspectives. I would rather her learn how to deal with and how to not push away or to not blame or to not hate her mother, I mean her grandmother, for being negative, but to understand that that's the way some people see things. Now, honey, that's not how we see things, true? You know, how do we see the world and have conversations about that? Now, granny... Granny, that's what I called. Granny sees things different. See, that education right there is so much more valuable than don't ever let grandma be around her and find a new one. Yet, you have the right to find a new one. I hope that helped. Okay, Kat? All right. Next up from DP, 
I struggle with balancing meeting my needs versus meeting my kids' needs and often put myself last. I know this is not a good example to set for my children. How do I deal with the guilt of sometimes putting my needs first and Hmm. how to explain the why of doing that to my kids? Okay. Okay. I think I got it. Um, Boy, I I relate uh, to this one, uh, being an instructor and traveling and having having that guilt. Okay. So – Obviously, you do understand by what you just said that putting yourself on the back burner is not healthy, and it is not. Now, I, you know, of course, I cannot answer that line of how much time or energy do you give to your children's needs and, and to yours. Um, you know, off, on on the surface, I would just say I hope it's somewhat, somewhat equal. Yet, you know, don't prosecute me for that. Maybe you have more kids and you need to put a little bit more energy in there. But the main point is. You want to make sure both are are being taken care of because, and I think you know this too, by the way you asked that question, you know, it's not healthy because you want to show the model to your children that it is okay to go for what you want, right? It's okay for you to go for what you want. You want them to go for what they want, right? You want them to go for, you know, and there's just something just popped up. One of the greatest pieces of advice that I was given is by Wayne Dyer. If you're ever going to give advice to your children, uh, here's the best advice you can give them is find out what they really are passionate about, what they really want to do, what their purpose is and advise them to go do that. Right. So you want your children to go do what, you know, what's important to them, what they want. So if that's true, you've got to be doing it too. Okay. You've got to be going for what you want. And when you're on the plane and there's a problem, the, the adult always gets the oxygen mask first and then takes care of the kids. Okay. So you want to have the role model, be a, a, be a person who's going for what they want, you know, handling their needs and big enough and unselfish enough to also to help out with the, with, with the kids too. So you want the kids to see that the parent is a dreamer, that the parent is a risk taker, that the parent holds themselves to be important Remember, whatever we want our kids to do or be, we've got to. So if you stop going for what you want, stop taking care of you, you're going to have resentment. And then you're going to be what's called the victim mentality. And then that's what we start teaching is to be angry, to put everybody first and to be miserable. And then that's what is going to end up being a challenge for the child. Okay, so communicate clearly the reason that you're taking care of your needs too, because not because of them, because you are important also. So two telltale signs of a child is going to be um, pretty successful in life. Two telltale signs when they're young is if a child believes that they're important. Now, not overinflated. I don't know if I'll cover that today or not, but that'll definitely be in the course that we're going to do. You don't want to have overinflated uh, importance, but that I am important and I'm willing to take risks. You put those two together, you've got a pretty well adjusted child. Um, so to communicate that, that the reason I'm doing these things is because I'm important. I'm your mother. I am important. I'm an important human being and you're an important child too. Maybe not one of us is more important. We're both important. I, I hope that helps. All right, Kat. All right. Next from JN. 
How do I help my shy five-year-old? I was also shy as a child and now struggle with social anxiety, so I just don't want my child following in my same path. How do I help my shy? Oh, that's a good one. Good one. <clears throat> How do I help my shy child? Okay. We're going to go broad stroke here. Um, is anything wrong with a shy child? Well, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, this brings up a massive topic that um, we're all on a journey. And uh, as parents, um, do we have the right to decide their journey? Now, we have the right to train a well-adjusted child. I believe that, that we have the right to set the rules, what's acceptable, what's not, prices to pay, to learn how to function in this world yeah, but to tell them how they have to be, you know, you've got to be this or you've got to be this. You've got to be courageous. There's a bit of that that I question, you know, and, and I know we all want that. Yet, is anything wrong with shy? Um, is that a behavior that uh, uh, that's not a behavior? Wait, shy. Shy is more of an attitude that turns into behavior, maybe standoffish now that I think about it, so shy. Um, I don't know if there's something else you're questioning here. Um, there are some people that are just going to be shy, you know, and she got it from you, right? Because reality is you're not shy. You choose to, to hold back a bit, okay? A child is not shy, a child holds back a bit and maybe doesn't talk much and more is an observer, okay? So now, if you're seeing that that is really holding them back, well then where you wanna go with the approach on that is to start the risk model, which is the failure model, which is to, to absolutely encourage failure, absolutely encourage exploratory, absolutely encourage um, trying new things, you know, and, and, and producing a result that is not anything what you wanted. And so for them to start to build, um, there's questions on here about how do I get my child to have self-love? So these are all kind of in that same category, self-love, shy to a bit more confidence, really all boils down to this is how do you build, how does a child have confidence? Is that they do things, they experience things that they didn't think they could do. That's how a child builds, right? So that's why challenges are important. And that's why it's so good to have child in the challenge of things, not just in the comfort of things, right? So to have them start taking small risks and then it's not, gauged on the result. Remember, if you want a child to be smart, don't tell them they're smart. To have a child take chances, have a child take risks, have a child do something they've never done before, which means you've got to do the same thing as a parent, which might be your challenge because you said that you were more shy. And then you and her go out and do things together. Now, I'm not talking about skydiving. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you could. I'm not sure. Uh, but I'm talking little things that just go like are just weird, 
Like, what do you mean we're going to paint a plate, Mom? Yeah, let's go. Have a Coke, have something, drink, go paint a plate at the corner store. Wow, okay. Right? To, so that you're doing it too. See, it, what do you want your kids to do? We got to do it too. So you break out. You break out with her. She sees it. She learns it's okay to fail. It's okay to take chances. And you build up her by the effort that she put into something, not the end result. The effort that she put into it, not the result, not the finished product. But that effort, great effort. They'll keep making efforts. They'll keep putting effort out there. And they're going to eventually produce a great result. All right, Kat, next one. Next up from TE, any suggestions for working with teens who don't want to communicate? How do you get them to talk? <laughs> God, these are really, really good questions. How do you get them to talk? You pay them. I'm just kidding. I don't know. That might work now that I think about it. Um, well, of course, a teen, we've got to look at what's going on. You know, we've really got to be compassionate and understand there's something going on that they are stuck, if you will. Stuck meaning the throat, stuck not communicating, right? Something has stopped inside of them. Something is clogged up. Something is stuck. Uh, and it's got to be an emotional thing that's going on. Um, okay, so one, a little bit of compassion that um, they're not doing this to just make you mad. They're not doing this to sabotage themselves consciously. Um, there's a struggle going on inside, okay? And to have love and one-sided communication. Obviously, the the great result would be to have two-way communication. Yet, at least have one-way communication without an expectation of them talking. Um, what I would do is um, ask questions and not expect them to talk and just say, you know what, just listen, son. Just listen. I know something's going on. Maybe I haven't been attentive to it as much as I could have been, but I am now. Okay, son, and I am now. Um, you don't need to talk. Of course, we would all have a lot more fun, you know, if you would. Yet I know there's a reason. Um, and when you're ready to tell me, I'm ready to handle this maybe a different way than I ever have before. Um, and maybe you're scared to bring it up. Um, but what I'm promising you is that what I'm going to do is I'm going to be here and I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to punish you. See, that's a whole nother topic right there real quick. Um, when we were told as children, to be honest, we often got punished because what most parents don't want is honesty. They want to hear what they want to hear. And if a child tells them something other than that, they get in trouble. So it's not hard to figure out why children just stop talking to us. And they'll talk, to, unfortunately, they'll talk to other teens or other peers or, or other coaches or other drug dealers or whoever that actually listen to them. And then off they go um, to ensure them that you're going to be a parent who's just going to listen and then to be there to support, not to solve it for them. So I know it's not, I want you to talk so I can solve it. I don't want you to talk so I can go down to the junior high school and take that principal and bring him out. No, no, no. That's the last thing they want you to do. 
They do not want the parents to come to school and fix things and add so many more problems, right? So it's a, I'm going to be here. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to judge. You're not going to be in trouble. No matter what, start telling this to your kids when they're very young, very young. It doesn't matter if you think they can hear it or not. It goes into the subconscious mind. No matter what you ever do and no matter what you ever say, I will always love you. No matter what you do, I will always love you. No matter what you say, I will always love you. And then to show up that way. So I'm going to be here. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to solve it for you. I'm just going to be here for you, buddy. So whenever you want to. And that's the best thing you can do. To not be angry. To not get frustrated at it. He or she has a right not to talk. They need a safe place. And I really do believe they want the safe place to be at home. Okay. I hope that helps. All right, Kat. Next from MS. What is the one thing you would recommend parents work on or do every day? Oh, good question. I love questions like this. I'm so simple like that. Like I, I was, here I go. I'm off to the races on a whole different topic. Promoter behavior. Style. I was... <laughs> I was doing a, uh, a relationship conference call one day with this relationship expert. And I asked the same question. I said, if there's one thing I can do every day to make my relationship better, tell me what to do. And it was so cool what they said, what, what she said. Huh? You want to know? You want to know? She said, be great. If you want a great relationship, you be great. Quit focusing on the other person. You be great for that other person. You be great. I was like, wow. See, I like those simple ones. Okay, so what is the one thing? I'm not going to go one, I'll go two. The two things that we can do and focus on every day, okay? That's pretty simple. How much you love and appreciate them and to challenge them to be uncomfortable. To challenge them to go for it, to challenge them to learn something they didn't know, to challenge them to go one step further. I'm talking about a little kid at the playground, little one standing there hugging your leg, the other older over there. You want to go play? No, no. Okay, cool. Well, you want to just take two steps up there? I'll be right here. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave you. I'll be right here. You want to take two steps over there? Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Let them sit there for a little bit. You want to walk over to that stool right there, that bench right there? No. It's okay. It's all right. You sure? <laughs> right? Two more steps. I'll be right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right here. Now, e even just that, right? When, when they're shy, not like go play with them. Go. No, no, no. Two steps. I'll be right here for you. See, that's raising, not just taking a kid to the park. It's actually teaching and raising a child. Okay. Um, so yeah, I would say to, and I would maybe reverse those um, challenge first, right? And then acknowledge them for the effort that they put into it. My sons, you know, I, I went and talked to a music uh, uh, director the other day, he was here in class, 
And I said, is there an, a, a more important instrument for my child to learn if they're going to do music? You know, and, and he said, absolutely, it's piano. And, and then I just thought back on my wife. God bless my wife. I'm in Toronto and she's home with the kids right now. Um, and uh, she's got my son playing piano. I mean, she, she did it. She got him into it. Now, what I do is I challenge him to play Star Wars, you know, and I, I said, dude, can you imagine when you he didn't want to do it? play piano i said dude can you imagine playing star wars on piano he's like oh my god dun, 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 dun. i mean and he can play it now and to acknowledge not that he can play it even though we have so much fun when he does it's just that struggle and that effort and that doing something you didn't want to do and then pow right so the challenge first then the love and appreciation all right cat all right, Tim. So we have a number of people on the call uh, who have not yet done the PSI courses. And I was hoping you could take just a quick, just quickly talk about what the benefits are in the PSI courses, the tools, particularly for parenting and empowering your kids for success. Mm. Okay. All right. Okay. So let me, let me do this. Um, if any of you have sibling rivalry and the kids are young, okay, here's something you can do. And I am answering your questions. Okay. Um, if they, you know, if they're coming, Tommy did this and Sarah did this and meh, 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 right. You get a big chart on the wall. This is where you get to get a little artsy and crafty, right? You get a big chart on the wall, put there one name on this one, one name on that one. And then underneath it, you have 10, 10, you know, spaces. And, uh, you can decorate and have all kinds of fun. And then when you get to 10, you have a big star down here like, okay, this is our goal. All right. And then what you do is you start telling the child, every time you come to me and tell me something that Sarah is doing that is incredible, you get a star or a donkey. I don't care whatever it is, whatever picture and image you want to do or, you know, a, tr a trumpet. I don't know. And then the other one. And then, Thomas, every time you tell us what your brother's doing that's great you get one and then whoever gets to 10 first we're going to the zoo you'll change a behavior in about six six to eight weeks where they will start seeing what is great out there okay now the reason i bring that up right now is if you like that one and then don't ever tell a child they're smart those are two simple things that we can do to shift dramatically a child's life. Now, why bring that up is because in the basic course, would you come and learn things that you as a parent or just a human being can do to be better in life, in your business? Little things that you go, wow, I wish I'd have learned that when I was young. Right. Those little things that will cause you to be more effective, more productive in your business, in your health, in your relationships, your spirituality, your contribution to the world. And the whole purpose of these trainings, just at different levels, is for us to be the best us that we can while we are here. And not only for ourselves, but for other people. And, you know, the, the, they just get bigger and bigger. Life success course, seven days, High Valley Ranch mind-blowing shifts in our beingness there. And then we take on the leadership, the men's and women's leadership. I mean, just the most profound life changes that a person will experience with, an, 
with about a hundred other incredible men or women. And then you've got a community, you've got a network and a community of people from all over the world that you can be with, that you can learn from, that you can play with and learn from and have fun with. So, you know, if you're about, you know, and if you're on this call, I, I say you are to, to willing to get on a call and listen to someone talk, something matters to you, something's important to you, or you wouldn't be on this call because you know the one thing to, to a way to upset people is to talk about how to parent their kids. Well, so you're not one of those, right? You're willing to get on and go, let's learn. Well, I tell you what, if you want to learn not just about your kids, but you and you want to be great parents, you really are committed to being great parents, get in the trainings. And if you do from this call and I happen to be instructing, come up to me and let me know that you were on this call. And, and because of this work, you, you took a class. I'd love to give you a big hug and, and have a coffee with you. OK, so I hope I hope that helps, Kat. Awesome. Yes, it all starts with the PSI Basic Seminar. Again, you can go to PSIBasicSeminar.com to get started. So, Tim, as we're wrapping up here, I know we went a little long. Are there any takeaway points that you have for our listeners tonight? God bless you (laughs) for doing one of the most incredible jobs. And I, I think that the one thing would be to just get really, really clear. What is our job? What is our role with parents? Is it to be friends? Is it to be in a relationship or is it to raise incredible human beings? And if it is to raise incredible human beings, then what's most important is letting them learn the tough parts of life by paying prices, by learning, by falling, by failing, by getting back up and know that their parents love them and have their best interests at heart and to be able to mature emotionally so that our kids don't think that they make us mad because they don't want to do that. And so to, to gain, and that's why these classes can help is to gain some emotional maturity, to be, to be, to be good, to be clean and that you're there for the kids. That's it, Kat. Awesome. What a great training. Thank you so much, Tim, for sharing your insights with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kat, and PSI Seminars. Thank you, and thank all of you. Yes, thank you to everyone listening in. We hope that you enjoyed the topic and you have some new tools to move you forward in the pursuit of your dreams and goals. If you're getting value from the PSI podcast, don't forget to rate us and post a review on iTunes. You definitely don't want to miss next month's training. It's scheduled for Tuesday, May 14th, with PSI facilitator Rob Rowe discussing how to declutter your mind. You can register now at PSILive.com and remember to ask your questions when you register. Again, that's PSILive.com. Again, for those of you who are new to PSI seminars and would like to find out more about the PSI Basic course, you can go to PSIBasicSeminar.com where you'll find information about the class as well as upcoming dates and locations. That's PSIBasicSeminar.com. Thank you, everyone, for being on the call tonight. We appreciate you taking the time out to listen in. Have a great night.